For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's up, babes? Frisnick Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And today, with free agency now having a little bit of time and, uh, you know, us kind of having a little bit of time to gather our thoughts on it, I figure now is a great time to kind of take a quick look back at free agency and uh, kind of also talk about the state of the Caps roster, where we think they are, where we think they're not. And uh, I figure no time better than to uh, bring in the analytics guru himself someone who i think has made an appearance on almost every hockey podcast ever known to man in the last couple of weeks uh jack uh from ep your inside jack how are you doing not bad how about you i'm well i'm well i'm well i uh you know i know we were just talking about it too that uh you have uh a sub we'll do i guess a little like promo uh you know plugging at the start the start but you've uh i feel like your stuff started to get in a lot more places which is which has really been cool lately, huh yeah, no, it's been great. And I mean, Elite Prospects and, and J.D. Burke, who's the editor there, have been super generous in, in giving me a chance to to write there. And uh, obviously uh, also running the the Patreon at JFresh Hockey, which has been uh, doing pretty well. And, and I am very, very grateful that, you know, especially considering the amount of people who are doing analytical writing and stuff like that, that that people give my stuff a shot. So in, in, including you, I, I was uh, happy to be on your show a couple months back and and happy to be invited back again, even if I am talking about the the hated Washington Capitals. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Well, I think it's, it's safe to say, you know, I think uh, your, your beloved uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals both kind of had, I don't know, I, I, you know, I don't even want to call the Capitals offseason interesting because frankly, it kind of, uh, OV extension aside, it really was kind of just... Uh, a little bit of stasis, uh, you know, depending on kind of your thoughts on Brendan Dillon uh, losing him. So I guess let's kind of let's kind of go broad here. Then we'll kind of I have a whole bunch of questions. Uh, I got some fan questions, too, that we I'm going to kind of incorporate in here. But let's kind of start with let's start broad. What, what's your view on the state of the Capitals roster kind of as it stands right now? I think it's fine. <laughs> not to, uh, not to cut, cut the podcast short after that but yeah no, no, like, I, I, the I, same problem like i kind of feel the same way like i don't know like we, they're probably a playoff team right and like you know they lost in the third first round each of the last three years now like i feel like we kind of know with this roster what the deal is huh yeah like i you know i like it like it looks pretty good on paper to me uh you know like the the forward group is especially is, is solid i i guess a lot depends on 
you know, what's going to end up happening with, with Kuznetsov, I guess that that'll probably have a pretty big impact on uh, what that forward lineup looks like. But yeah, you know, I, I, it really does kind of seem like a perfectly okay team to me in terms of, you know, I think that they're a safe bet to at least compete strongly for a playoff spot, if, if not make it, you know, I think the Penguins are probably in a pretty similar situation. Like both teams, I think just kind of, you know, maybe shed some, some money on the back end, but other than that are, looking fairly similar to, to how they looked last year. And, uh, you know, maybe that is an issue considering that both of these teams are getting older in terms of the star players, especially, but yeah, you know, I mean, the Capitals, I don't think shot themselves in the foot massively this season or, or did anything too dramatic. And, uh, you know, again, it, like if they have Ilya Samsonov for a full season, you know, his track record analytically speaking, hasn't been anything mind blowing, but obviously he's young and he still has potential. So, it's, you know, if he can come in and, and live up to, to what I think people have envisioned him as potentially being in the NHL, you know, there's no reason that the Caps can't be a 100-point team or, or even win the division. Uh, but it, it's a tight division. Like, it's, it, there's no guarantee that anybody is going to be making the playoffs this year. So it's uh, it really is going to be kind of a wait-and-see situation for both teams, I think. Yeah, and I mean, one of the, one of the interesting things is – I, and I guess it, it both makes it boring, but also I think kind of an interesting thought question, which is, you know, I, I, I look at the Caps roster and frankly, I look at the Pens roster too. And I think they have a similar kind of deal in that, you know, I, I think they're locked in and it's tough for me to see a clear way that they would make it a lot better. Right. Because I mean, the Capitals, at least from our standpoint, we've invested in the horses that we've invested in. Right. Like, obviously, they're not going to trade Backstrom. I think they would have a hell of a time trying to trade Oshie's contract at this point. You know, they the one the one piece that seems to be kind of movable is Kuznetsov. But I, you know, the market doesn't seem like it's there. And I frankly, at this point, I almost wonder if the Caps are just kind of content to you know, play their cards with him in the, in, you know, going into the regular season and kind of seeing what happens. But I don't know, it, it's kind of tricky me looking at both the Pens and Caps roster in that, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's set and stable and I don't really know how much I'd make it better. Yeah, I, I think they, they, like, these are two teams that are pretty much, I think, set to ride off into the distance with what they have and just see how long that window can last. And you know, I mean, the the star players on each of these teams have remained stars into their mid-30s, which I don't think was any guarantee. Uh, obviously, that's subject to fall off a cliff at any point. But, I, I you know, like you said, they don't exactly have the cap flexibility or the draft capital to be, you know, getting these amazing players on free agent deals or drafting franchise players in the first round. So I, I honestly think that, that both teams have made the right decision to basically – trust their horses and, and ride this one out. And and maybe there's one cup in it for one of these teams. Maybe they're just going to be kind of making the playoffs and losing in the first or second round. But uh, as, as long as they have these star players on the roster, they've given themselves a decent shot. And I think both teams have done a fairly good job of building a supporting cast with the tools that they've been given uh, and, and filling in, especially those kind of depth areas of the roster with, with guys who can actually play. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, what I mean, it's, it is kind of remarkable and obviously it does me no good as a Caps fan to sit here now and say this, but I mean, both the Caps and the Penguins have been really, obviously we talk about the NHL being a cyclical league, given that it's a hard cap and, you know, we award the best draft picks to the worst teams, but I think it's been kind of impressive that both these teams, given how many teams otherwise we've seen rise and fall, 
you know, I even look at a team like the Kings, which had a higher high than the Capitals did, but are have been rebuilding for like three or four years now. Like, I think it, it's kind of generally impressive what they've been able to do, given that, you know, it's just such a, it, it's a league that's so hardwired for parity in almost every position. Yeah, and I think that just comes down to the stars, you know. Ovechkin is still an elite player. Crosby is still an elite player. Malkin, you know, obviously didn't have his best season, but but the season before that, he was an elite player. And uh, it, it really comes to show that if you are fixing your, you know, your your cup window or your contention window to purely in, like, the second half of your star player's 20s, you might be selling yourself short because both of these teams, I think, gave themselves the flexibility to actually continue to compete while these players were entering their thirties and, and even, you know, now they find themselves in their mid thirties. So I, I, I do think that it's a, a huge achievement for, for both of these t- franchises to actually be able to construct teams around these guys that didn't end up like the Kings or like the Blackhawks where they found themselves just stuffing their contract, their uh, books with so many of these big bloated contracts that they eventually just couldn't keep up anymore. Kind of collapsed on the weight of itself a little bit. Yeah. 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 Sure. Well, and I, I guess like, you know, one, one contract that obviously has the, the one big piece of the Washington Capitals offseason, aside from the uh, chronicles of Vitek Vanacek has been obviously the Ovechkin extension. And uh, yeah, I, I was personally, I was a little surprised that it came at five years. You know, I think the reporting seemed to say it might be a little shorter. And uh, I think the $9.5 million cap hit, you know, the fact that people, me included, were surprised how low it was, was uh, an interesting piece of expectation setting by the Washington Capitals there. Uh, You know, given that it's, you know, obviously Ovechkin's aging and is probably not going to be worth that whole contract. But I guess, you know, I, I know Ryan Lambert kind of wrote about this recently too, but What's what's the what's your frame of mind when it comes to thinking about the Ovechkin extension? Because for me, it's I you know I struggle with like you know obviously if you're in a pure win now mode and like trying to moneyball it, it's not going to be tough, but or it's going to be a tough kind of look. But I I almost wonder if that's just not the way that they're thinking about it, or kind of the team is thinking about it. Yeah, I, this is honestly a case for me, and I, I said this I think even just a year ago when, when the first conversations of what Ovi might want on his retirement contract came up. I, I mean, it's Ovi. Like you, yeah. you keep him as long as he'll stay. You pay him as much as he needs. Like the, the Capitals have way more to gain from having Ovi on that team, even if he's only scoring thirty to forty goals or, or, or what have you. You know, having him there, chasing the record, being the franchise player. Like I feel like that has a lot more value to this franchise than you know if they had tried to play super tight with him and, and tried to get him in at, you know, three years instead of five years or, you know, 8.5 instead of 9.5 or, or whatever. You know, I, I think that, you know, with the Penguins and the Caps, I don't think that there's really any doubt about what's going to happen in a couple of years with these two franchises. And, you know, in the meantime, it really is about kind of serving your fans, serving your team. And, you know, I, I, again, it's a lot more exciting if the Capitals end up out of playoff contention three or four years from now if they have Ovi gunning for Gretzky's record than if he is playing for, you know, the Seattle Kraken or playing in Russia or something. So I I don't have a problem with it. I think you just, you do kind of have to throw the whole money ball thing out the window when it comes to a player like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
I guess the other kind of, well, I mean, perhaps have a few, but I, you know, Ovechkin's obviously going to be kind of yoked to Backstrom in a lot of ways, uh, you know, contract addition to that. I, I, I've been a little concerned lately, though, frankly, about how Backstrom has aged, and uh, I, he's never been the fastest player, but man, he's really seems to be slowing down. Like, uh, the, I, you know, I, I know that maybe you could apply some of the same Ovechkin logic to Backstrom, but like, should Capital fans be concerned about how he's aging? Or, you know, I, again, he's maybe, aside from analytics, he's, again, still producing points, like like Backstrom always seems to do. So kind of kind of, what's your long-term kind of prognosis for Backstrom? Do you think he's going to be able to stave off kind of age-related decline for another couple of years? Or do you think this is kind of locked in as being a not a great contract for the Caps, kind of no matter what at this point? Probably, I, I would say probably a bit of both. You know, I don't think Backstrom, I, I would say he's probably not a $9.2 million player right now, let alone four years from now. But uh, again, you know, the, the thing is that I think he's still a good player. I think he has defensive value, which might be able to age a little bit better than the more kind of flashy offensive stuff. And, and you know, like I said, when it really comes down to it, you know, when Ovechkin and Backstrom aren't what they used to be, the Capitals are going to be, in trouble anyway so they might as well be in trouble with you know these pillars of their franchise still on the team and, and still contributing and, and and all of that rather than you know going into the abyss just with nothing and having these guys playing on different teams so yeah I, I again it really is kind of one of those unique situations where if you know if the Detroit Red Wings had signed Nicholas Backstrom to a five-year 9.2 million dollar deal it would have been ridiculous and a terrible idea but you know, if the Penguins turn around and give that money to Malkin next year, uh, you know, I'm not going to be shedding any tears for their cap situation. I think it just is one of those things, especially when you tie in the fact that, you know, as goes Backstrom, so goes Ovechkin seem to be uh, what we were hearing about. You know, it really is just kind of a pill that you have to swallow. And, you know, the, I think the Capitals can can figure it out and, and make it work if they have to. And And if they can't, then you know, the party was going to end at some point anyway. So I don't think uh, it's really the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if it, the crash is going to come in your four or five or whatever, you know, we knew the crash was going to come anyways. And so, you know, then just, you know, that's it. Then, then you got two guys that, you know, have just a couple of years left and then you can kind of really start going real full into the rebuild. But, you know, I think one of the pieces that, the cap as a cap fan, I was kind of hoping was going to help stave off some of that because I thought, you know, at the time he was going to be, you know, a clear number one center and one of the best players in the league. And it doesn't really seem like he's turned into that. And of course, I'm talking about Evgeny Kuznetsov. And you talk to Capitals fans about Kuznetsov and pretty much everyone's going to bring up the run in, you know, 2018 as saying, well, why can't he just do that all the time? And I guess let me let me pitch this to you a couple of different ways. But let's start with why can't he just do that all the time? Like, was that was he just like because it didn't strike me that he was like shooting percentage, you know, lucking his way through things. But kind of what do you what do you think the cause of the drop off is, or do you just think the twenty eight the the twenty eighteen playoffs was just kind of a small sample size and it was just not going to be super realistic for him to keep with that? I mean, he definitely did seem to be shaving up to be kind of one of those top end players. And and I think that his his fall off since that happened is decently significant. I think that mostly what it came from was the fact that it used to be, you know, earlier on that his defense was obviously an issue, but it was kind of balanced off by 
by his, you know, offensive production and his, you know, his offensive play driving and, and all of that. Uh, and, and I think that the dip in his offense and, you know, without any kind of corresponding rise in his defensive play has kind of limited his effectiveness. I, I mean, he's still, you know, I think overall an effective player, you know, if you look at his kind of passing numbers and high danger passing numbers and all that, you know, there's still a lot to like there and, and there still is probably a little bit there that's not getting fully captured by the metrics uh, in terms of, you know, specific, you know, slot passes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I know we've talked to Corey about that, for instance. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the, the, the prognosis on Kuznetsov is probably not as apocalyptic as it seems. Uh, and, and, you know, he still grades out as a, as a perfectly good player and, and I think is a capable uh, second line center. Uh, but yeah, it, it really did seem like he kind of had more that he was going to give. And I don't think that that has really panned out and it does, you know, when that happens, that does obviously bode very poorly for, you know, a team like the Capitals who were, you know, dead set on kind of being able to just continue to extend this cup, this, uh, cup contention window. And, you know, if Kuznetsov was one of the best centers in the NHL, you know, that would definitely have opened things up quite a bit, but yeah, you know, I, I again, the situation in Washington with Kuznetsov does seem to be a little fraught and a little awkward. And, and the idea of kind of finding a team that would take on its contract without dumping salary the other way or, or without the capitals retaining does seem a little bit dubious. I kind of thought that maybe you might see a team like the wild or a team like the, uh, like the Vegas golden Knights be interested in, in him as a potential fit. Uh, but I think that kind of other circumstances have kind of closed those doors a little bit, especially considering the cap crunch that the wild have imposed on themselves in the next couple of years. With those <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're going to be know, lucky but, if they're even able to bring Caprice on back. Eh? Yeah, exactly. So like, the capitals might just have to, you know, learn to live with Kuznetsov and, and hope that he can kind of find his way back off the ice, but you know, he's a good player. It's just, it is a little disappointing that he kind of seemed primed to become one of the league's best. And he just seems to have settled in as a, you know, defensive liability, second line center who can pass the puck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a couple, uh, so I have a couple of fan capitals related questions. Then we're going to take a quick break and then start talking about the Metro, which has been a wild and weird off season for a lot of the teams, Penguins included. Um, one of the questions I got was, about the Capitals' uh, left side of the defense, which right now reads uh, Dmitry Orlov, Michael Kempney, and Matt Irwin, uh, which isn't great. Um, and really, the Caps' blue line, you know, I, I, I'm kind of... Obviously, you, you lose Dylan, and the... I, Maybe let's start with Dylan and then we can kind of go from there. Um, Dylan was someone that I think you talked to Capital Sands and not to a T, but a lot of them were pretty frustrated with him. But analytically, he seemed to grade out kind of well. So I don't know. What, what did you think about the Caps flipping Dylan, uh, which obviously they needed to move somebody to fit Ovechkin's contract in? But kind of what did, what did you see about Dylan and kind of what are your thoughts on kind of the Cavs blue line? And is there, you know, is there potentially a problem here with kind of the utter lack of depth and probably not a huge prospect pool to really call in from? Yeah, I was, Dylan is really kind of one of those confusing ones because like I, you know, I, Dylan is not the kind of player that I would tend to do a deep video dive on. So I have to admit that I only really saw him when the Penguins were playing the Capitals. I don't blame you. It's not uh, super interesting. I was, <laughs> yeah, but, but I was, I mean, I was definitely very, very surprised at the pushback that I got uh, by, like you said, by Capitals fans when I did 
praise Dylan because, you know, like you said, Dylan had a very solid analytical profile, especially uh, defensively, you know, his shot suppression numbers were, were very good. And uh, I pointed that out and I immediately got a pile of Capitals fans saying, if Seattle takes this guy, we will rejoice. So <laughs> I, I really could not get more in depth into kind of where the eye tests and the analytics are diverging on, on that player. But uh, I, I will say that they do, but, you know, again, if you, you know, even if you do like Dylan as a player, you know, you aren't necessarily heartbroken about getting a second round pick for a guy who was deemed ex- expendable in the expansion draft and uh, who, you know, has that money on the books for a couple extra years. So I, you know, I think that he's an effective player. I think that he would have been a nice piece in their top four, but maybe the numbers are missing something that the, uh, that the eyes are catching uh, yeah. I, either way, you know, I, I would say that the, the left side for the Capitals doesn't seem to grade out as apocalyptically as I've, I've heard from some people. The uh, <laughs> I, Although I will say that the, the depth chart that I have and that the, the roster builder is built on has Trevor Van Riemsdyk on that third left defense spot. Is it seeming like Matt Irwin? So I, I have Cap Friendly as having him as a right D, but if, 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 if TVR is a left D... And that actually ties perfectly to my, my theory about Dylan, which is uh, when, when you kind of dug into the Dylan stats, when actually when he was playing with TVR, who t- has graded out before as a very good defensive defenseman, you know, that that seemed to work. And, uh, you know, that was one of the ones that was a little interesting to me was that, you know, the I it, my pet theory about Dylan, not to bog this down with my thoughts too much, but is that I think Dylan isn't a real defensive defenseman and that he's actually probably a bit more, I don't want to say offensive minded, but maybe inclined to gamble. And so the Caps were insistent upon putting him with players like Justin Schultz and John Carlson. And I actually don't think he's a great fit with those players, but someone who's actually a true defensive defenseman like Trevor Van Riemsdyk, I think was a better use of his skill set. So that's, that's my just on the table right there. Yeah, because I, I do remember looking into his stats and noticing that he had done really well with Justin Braun in San Jose. And I, yeah. I mean, he, he did extremely well with Eric Carlson in Carlson's first year with uh, with the team. But I don't think his numbers with Burns were quite as good. So I think that that lines up. Uh, yeah, so in that case, I, I mean, you know, if I'm looking at, you know, what I have, like like what the, what the sure. stats would say, the, the big red flag on the Capitals' blue line is Justin Schultz. Like yeah. that is the big kind of glowing red you know, like he, I think his contract was not one that I was too enthusiastic about, both as somebody who watched him night in, night out with the Penguins and somebody who was looking at the numbers that were saying, hey, don't sign this guy, don't sign this guy. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the the numbers this year in, in Washington, I think, matched pretty much perfectly with uh, with, with that assessment. Uh, you know, I, I don't see him as, as a guy whose offense cancels out his defensive issues. Uh, I don't see him as a guy who is particularly valuable power play asset at this point in his career. I think he's, he's very shot heavy, which is not necessarily something that you want on a Washington Capitals power play from your right defenseman. Uh, And, and in terms of having him, you know, in the top four, you know, I I would not be too enthusiastic about that as an option, uh, especially when you have a guy like Nick Jensen, who I think is a perfectly capable top four right defenseman sitting right there who does, bring a lot more defensive responsibility so you know like I would say that the Capitals you know like in in the model the Capitals defense ranks out at about average like it ranks 18th in the league uh, which I think is perfectly respectable especially considering that that's only at 
even strength. So that's not factoring in, you know, how good they are on the penalty kill and, and how effective Carlson obviously is on the power play. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't really stick out as a, as a sore thumb, but yeah, you know, if you could maybe get Matt Irwin on the left side and then replace Schultz with, uh, with TVR there, then maybe you might have a little bit of a better analytical profile, but yeah. you know, presumably the coaching staff values Schultz for something. Maybe there's something that's, that's not being captured there that, that I'm totally missing on, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's apocalyptically bad, but I would say that it's probably the biggest weakness on the roster. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, I would, I would say, I mean, you, you, you've seen him as a Penn fan. Um, I, I, I almost wonder if Justin Schultz has a bit of a, I, I, I don't want to call it a Seth Jones kind of dilemma, but like a, Justin Schultz looks great when he skates <laughs> and, you know, he looks great when he's carrying the puck. And then as a fan, it can be hard to kind of diagnose and understand defensive responsibilities. But as an analytics person, you know, I, I won't say myself as an analytics person, but as someone who's analytically inclined, his defensive numbers are consistently pretty lousy. And so I, you know, I almost wonder if maybe like he looks better than actually he's grading out whenever he's is not the one individually carrying the puck. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's probably fair to say. And, and at least in my experience with him as a Penguins fan, uh, a lot of it was kind of, he was always the, the grass is greener guy that people would use when they were mad at Latang. Like they would yeah. always say, oh, you know, if we traded Latang and then had Schultz be our power play quarterback and our number one defenseman instead of, you know, in, instead of Latang, we would be in a much better position. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, you'd have to speak to this, but if Capitals fans ever take out their annoyance with John Carlson mishaps by saying, oh, you know, if only Justin Schultz was the one taking this responsibility but again maybe capital fans are a little bit more realistic than penguin fans are you know i i, I think that their I, number one defenseman yeah well i, th- I think it, justin schultz uh I, I think it's also safe to say he was not healthy for huge portions of last year so you know i think i think cap fans have kind of like priced that in a little bit too but we have one more caps yeah. question and i'll keep this one pretty brief and then we can take a break uh because i have i have a theory and i think you're gonna mostly share it um someone asked about um the capitals and the shooting percentage kind of dropping off in the playoffs and uh I, you know, to me, that reads is, uh, you know, is that a, and the, the person was asking, is this a thing? Is this a problem? I, you know, I kind of look at it and I just say goaltending is just better in the playoffs. Is it, is it that simple? Or do you think that there's something going on with the cap shooting percentage that maybe is dying down in the playoffs for some reason? For maybe, some reason? Uh, you know, I, with, with stuff like short samples in the playoffs, you know, obviously it's always, uh, you know, open to stuff like, you know, like you said, maybe they're playing better goalies. Maybe they're just, you know, having bad luck and, and not shooting properly. You know, maybe you could find ways to rationalize it in terms of, you know, rush chances or things like that, where the Capitals always tend to rank very highly in rush goals. Uh, even if their their number of rush chances aren't always so high, they do tend to, to uh, score at a pretty high rate off the rush. So, you know, maybe they're playing teams that identify that and, and limit their ability to carry the puck in with speed. I know that if you looked at, you know, uh, uh, Jakob Vrana, uh, his shooting obviously always completely evaporated in the playoffs uh, compared to the regular season where he obviously shot super well. And I think he's a perfect example of a guy whose effectiveness comes from carrying the puck into the zone with speed and beating guys on breakaways or, or odd man rushes or things like that. So, you know, maybe there's some kind of systemic thing 
in the Capitals game that other teams are identifying and preparing for and, and able to cut down on. But uh, I think if you do want to make a kind of systematic argument that this isn't just a matter of luck, you would have to do your homework, I think, a little bit and, and really quantify that. Because otherwise, you know, the default that you always want to just go to is that hockey small is a random sizes. sport and yeah. and small sample sizes, puck luck is going to go wild and, and make you look silly. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed, agreed. All right, well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about the, uh, the rest of the Metro. I won't ask about every team, but I will ask about a few. So uh, stay tuned. No, we're going to do 20 minutes on Columbus. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome back to Japers Rank Radio. Still here with uh, with Jack from uh, EP Ringside. And Jack, um, let's uh, let's talk about the rest of everyone. We're not going to do that, but but I I do have a I do have a broader question that I want to start with that uh, I kind of threw in here at the outline last second. But one of the things I noticed, um, kind of going through the ESPN free agency grades, and obviously it's not a perfect metric, but it did seem like you know in general the higher the you know the the better the team kind of the worst they got in the offseason it's obviously not a perfect rule but you know you look at like Tampa having to lose players Carolina doing whatever the hell Carolina did um you know uh you know Vegas kind of well I guess actually Vegas did fine but in general it seems like you know the the hard cap and the fact that we're at a flat cap really kind of I think you saw that a little bit this offseason, just in terms of the teams that had to be shedding players like the Avalanche and the teams that were kind of able to be the uh, beneficiaries of that, like a New Jersey Devils, for instance. So I don't know, am I am I reading this wrong? Or is that, do you, you kind of think that this being the second year of the flag cap really kind of impacted how things went this offseason? No, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, like, you know, even Vegas, like they lost the best in the trophy winner. In that, that is true. So it is true. things were, even, even though uh, yeah. it felt like, I mean, they were always going to have to do that, but like, man, that's, yeah. that's a, that's tough to have to do that right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's a combination of things, you know, like you said, you know, second year of the flat cap, but I, I think even more to the point or, or maybe to get a little bit more precise, it's the second year of the, the flat cap, but it's the first time in the flat cap that teams are acting as though there isn't a flat cap. You know, the, the money that was getting handed out is a lot more extreme than what we saw last autumn. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of contracts, you know, like I said uh, on, on the PDO cast uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, we saw a lot of contracts given out that had they been put on waivers in March would would have passed through, yeah. uh, which, you know, just speaks to, I think, how GMs kind of forgot about all the lessons that they learned a couple months ago and, and decided to start, you know, paying usual UFA rates. And because there was a flat cap that meant that contending teams couldn't afford to hold on to their guys. Uh, but it also meant that, you know, teams with more cap space uh, were paying, you know, extra big, you know, what used to be kind of paying, the uh, paying Winnipeg players. jet re- rejects, reject defensemen, huge contracts for some reason. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like if you're a, a team with like a high end guy, then, you know, not only, would they maybe hit the market in, in other situations, but they hit the market knowing that they would be able to get money that you would not have been able to pay them because teams were willing to shell out a lot of serious cash. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really do think that, you know, last season we kind of saw, you know, some, some non parity go on, I, I think would be a good way to put it. Like, I think yeah. that, you know, the, the teams on the top were the teams at the top. There was a lot of division between the best and worst. And, you know, we ended up having kind of the last three weeks of the season have essentially no drama to them because, you know, we knew who the best teams were and we knew who the worst teams were. 
basically uh, wasn't a playoff spot that was or that, that was open really i mean it was like people yeah, tried to force exactly. the north drama but it always seemed like montreal was was gonna have a lock on that fourth yeah I, you know and and that was the thing you know like if you look at the you know even like the game prediction model stuff you know so much of the season was chalk which i don't think i think people were expecting kind of the craziest season ever and then it ended up being exactly the opposite uh whereas i think this season things have kind of evened out i think a lot of like you said, great players on those top teams, I think filtered down to the teams at the bottom, as I think that some of these teams are ready to stop rebuilding uh, and, and trying to actually compete. You know, obviously Chicago tried to throw their hat in that fold. Uh, we saw LA uh, sign, you know, or sign or acquire two legitimate kind of second line contributors. Uh, you know, even Ottawa isn't exactly going aggressively, but I think that they're kind of ready to not be a bottom five team anymore. So I, I think more and more you're seeing those teams that are at the bottom actually trying to to make themselves better. And, and what that means is that we have a whole lot of franchises piled up in the middle where we didn't use to. So, like, yeah. you know, I would say that from the outset right now, the, uh, uh, I guess, Atlantic division seems fairly cut and dry like i think that there are pretty clearly four playoff teams and four non-playoff teams in, in that division and then every other division is basically a complete toss-up where i could convince myself that you know six or seven teams in each of those divisions could conceivably make the playoffs which definitely wasn't the case last year yeah well and uh, one of those divisions and uh, you gave me a perfect transition opportunity so i'm going to snag yeah. it but one of those divisions that uh was really up in the air. And I think your model produced some uh, results that, uh, you know, had Capital Sands, uh, I won't say raising an eyebrow, but but intrigued maybe, was uh, the Metro Division, where I think the the one that I saw had, you had the, uh, the Rangers and the Flyers, uh, you know, as the top two. And uh, I had a fan ask me in a DM, uh, basically, what, what's going on with that? So I guess yeah. I'll, I'll ask you that. I've what's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, I've had many, many fans in the DMs asking what's the deal with that. So just just to give some some context so that your listeners don't have to do the homework, the, the, the ranking of the teams as they stood right now was Rangers, Flyers, Penguins, Capitals, Hurricanes, Devils, Islanders, Blue Jackets. Oh, yeah, that's right. Keeping you had the Islanders like missing by a lot, I think. So, so keeping in mind that Lou Lamorello apparently just like took a nap on June 30th or, and has not woken up ever since. So, you know, I've, I've said this before, but like once, once the Islanders have made their signings, like once they have Palmieri and Zizekas and uh, uh, Parise, and I think that there was one other player that they were kind of pending to sign, then the Islanders will have moved into the final playoff spot and the, uh, the Capitals would have fallen out in that uh, calculation. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say, so, I mean, the, the first thing to say to the, you know, to the person who DM'd you and to the many people who DM'd me, I, I think the thing to take away from that ranking is not the Rangers and the Flyers are clearly the two best teams in this division, but this division is a complete crapshoot and any team is basically as good as any other team. So like, if you look at the Flyers, for example, you know, they have a pretty good team and they had literally the worst goaltending in the league last year. Yep. Like they had catastrophically bad goaltending, like it, like 88% save percentages. You know, you saw Brian Elliott put up a career low. You saw Carter Hart go from very promising young starter to one of the worst goalies in the league. And, you know, the model a ton of money in the process too. Exactly. And, and maybe like a, an Olympic spot as well. Like there's yeah. some serious stuff going on there. So, you know, 
the the model looks at that and basically says, okay, like we know, or it, well, we know it, it 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 sees what Carter Hart has been in the past. It sees what he was in like a forty game or thirty five game stretch this season, and basically balances that out to say, okay, he's probably not going to be a superstar, but he'll be okay. Yeah. You know, they add in which makes sense. Martin, you know, yeah, yeah. They add in Martin Jones, who is bad, but who even in his badness was not as bad as Brian Elliott was last season. So there's even a little bit of an improvement there, which sounds contradictory considering it's Mark Jones, but, but that's how it goes. And then, you know, you have guys <laughs> like Ryan, you know, they add Ryan Ellis who, you know, the model sees as an elite defenseman. Uh, yeah. They, they add Rasmus or Salinen, which is obviously a big problem, but you know, the model sees that he's going to be playing second or third pair of minutes where his damage will be somewhat limited. Uh, and he's not going to be their power play quarterback, which again, you know, even more limits the, the damage that he did. So, you know, he's going to cost them, you know, maybe a point or two in the standings, but not the end of the world. And, uh, you know, just stuff like having the whole roster healthy, having Lindblom in for the entire season, having Farabee and, and Konechny improving, uh, you know, just, just kind of nuts and bolts stuff like that. It likes Atkinson more than Borchek as well. So, you know, you just kind of add up a whole bunch of small improvements and then you have the goaltending progressing to the mean and suddenly – you know, this team is, is looking a lot more like the like the team that, that made a pretty decent regular season run two years ago instead of the catastrophe that it was last year. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. With, that makes sense. Yeah, and then with the Rangers, I'm not going to go as, as in-depth with the Rangers because I think you want to... Oh, I, ha- I have a Rangers that. question for you. Um, oh, perfect. All right. Let's, 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 oh, I mean, okay. I have, a, I, have a, I have a multi-part transition to this, but uh, I had a fan ask me about... Uh, one of, one of the one of the Twitter questions we got was who is the worst ranked player in your model? And I'm not going to ask that question, but I am going to ask about a team that acquired a lot of bad players for you know I, for a reason that I think we know, um, and it's that Tom Wilson seemed to break another team, and uh, that team is the New York Rangers. And uh, I'm just going to read you what the New York Rangers did this offseason because it's fascinating and terrible. Uh, they got rid of Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, Brett Howden, Colin Blackwell, who they lost in the expansion draft, and Brendan Smith. Uh, obviously, your mileage can vary. Howden, not that great, but Bujnevich, obviously, very good. And then they acquired Barkley Goudreau for way too much money, uh, Sammy Blay, Ryan Reeves, Jaron Tenorti, and Patrick Nemeth. And uh, they certainly got bigger, I guess. Uh, I don't think they got better, though. And uh, I guess, like, why why does why does Tom Wilson keep doing this to teams? Now this is the second team in the Metro, the Penguins kind of being as uh, Adam Gretz, I think, has talked about before, kind of overreacting to Wilson. Like, what, what do you, what do you think happened in New York? Like, you know, I, I'm just I I am struggling to wrap my head around a team that really seemed like it was promising in a lot of ways, deciding to basically unilaterally surrender talent for not really a great reason. So am I, am I off? What, 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 what do you think about what the Rangers did? Yeah. So I guess I'll go, I'll go two parts. The first one will be, Let's do it. you know, what, what I think about what the Rangers did. And then the second part will be, okay, so why do you have them winning the division? Uh, so the, so on the first part, you know, as a Penguins fan, I'm fully familiar with Tom Wilson brain. You know, if a team that literally is coming off back-to-back cups where they beat Tom Wilson in both of them can be affected with Tom Wilson brain, uh, any team can. And I guess I'm not too surprised that that the Rangers did. Uh, yeah, and and a lot of their their Wilson their Wilson pills decisions were, you know, pretty rough. I don't think there was any reason for them to feel the need to to bring in 
Brian Reeves, who is and extend him too, <laughs> and, and extend him before he even plays a game for them, yep. which is always always a good move that has never backfired on any team. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think there are some players that they added who at least, you know, obviously your miles may vary on the price, but you know they do, you know, at least make the Rangers a little bit better. You know, Barkley Goodrow definitely overpaid, horrible contract, but he is a better player than a lot of what they've had in their bottom six the past two years. You know, Patrick Nemeth, I actually, you know, he didn't have a great playoff series last year. I think everybody saw him make a couple consequential screw-ups when he was playing with Sam Zerard last uh, last playoffs. But, you know, I think he's a, a quite good bottom pair defensive defenseman and, and certainly, again, a lot better than Brendan Smith or, or similar players that they were putting out last year. Um, and that really kind of gets into, you know, what I think is, is the main point of, you know, where I see them having improved quite a bit is that, you know, and, and I guess I will kind of indirectly answer uh, the question that you were asked in your DM. So uh, I'm, on the first bit of who, who is the worst ranked player in the league, I don't feel too bad about saying that it is uh, it's Jamie Drysdale. Uh, and I don't blame him because he was 18 years old and the Ducks played him as their like top pairing left defenseman against yeah. the toughest competition. <laughs> so I am not going to hold any of that against Jamie Drysdale. Um, but similarly poorly rated were a couple of the guys that the Rangers had taken out of their lineup. You know, Brett Howden was, I think, right down there as well. And, and Libor Hayek also, you know, interestingly, both acquired in the same trade, uh, have been two of the worst players in the NHL in the past couple of years. And based on kind of the way that talent is distributed and how these players have effects, you know, just removing those two players from playing regular minutes on this team had a very significant effect on, on improving the Rangers' outlook, especially when they replaced them with guys like Barclay Goodrow or Patrick Nemeth, whose contracts we might disagree with, but who at least make them a significantly better team than they were with those other players on the lineup. Uh, in terms of, you know, Bucknovich, you know, that's just, that's just a, an unforced error. That's, you know, they would be looking even better. Like that's the difference between them being projected as like a hundred point team and a hundred and four or hundred point five or a hundred and five team. Like they really did not need to do that. And I, I think that they massively screwed up in making that decision. You know, that being said, you know, the Rangers had to play a decent chunk without Panarin last year. Uh, yeah. They had goalie injuries as well. Uh, they have young players on their roster who, you know, one kind of thing that, that people forget about that that's a part of you know this projection model is an age curve like it does kind of you know change players projected performance based on their age so a team like the capitals that has players at the top of their lineup who are older you know and, and the penguins as well is going to see a little bit more of a decline whereas a team like the rangers where their star players uh you know are kind of maybe a little bit younger and then they have up and coming guys like lafreniere and kako and, and even Adam Fox, you know, those guys are going to see a little bit of a bump. And so, you know, that has a, a big impact on how that team is projected to perform where you have guys like Kako, who I think he took a step forward last year. I think he still has, you know, a ways to go to, to turn himself into a proper, you know, top six or even top line winger. And, and Lafreniere, I, I think also has uh, a lot of growing to do. So, you know, if you see those guys take a step forward, I think the Rangers could be very competitive and, you know, you can never understate the impact of having a, you know, a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman leading your blue line, especially when they've kind of trimmed the fat and now have, you know, a pretty 
significantly deeper roster with, you know, Lindgren and, and Truba who can both play, you know, yeah. properly for minutes. And then you have, you know, Nemeth and, you know, et cetera. You know, if, if they go out and play Ryan Reeves on their third line and they sign Erica Branson and play him the whole season on the third pair, you know, that number is going to go down. But as, as things stand right now, the Rangers essentially by default are a better team than they were last year, even just by tidying up their depth a little bit and having young players get better. So, so kind of just almost pure addition by subtraction in a way or not pure, but, but that's at least a part of it here. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and again, that's just how they project. Maybe this, the new Gerard Gallant system will go horribly sideways or Panarin will fall off a cliff or Zidanejad will, you know, have a similar struggle or something like that, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I, I guess the main point is that, again, these teams are really not that far apart. The, the difference between a team making the playoffs and winning this division in this model is around five points. Yeah. And, you know, even the, even the best predictive standings models are off by an average of seven points or so, mm-hmm. you know, so there is the lesson that I would take away is, is not that the Rangers and Flyers are definitely going to win the division. It's that it's basically open season. Yeah. where kind of any of these teams can can seriously compete and, and you know, make the playoffs or, or even finish pretty high in that division and have home ice in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, it's going to be going to be definitely an interesting year from that standpoint. I'm going to ask you about kind of the two other top teams, and then we'll, uh, we'll call a wraps here. Uh, I, I am going to ask you about the Penguins, who, according to the ESPN list I'm consulting, had the worst offseason in hockey. Uh, I think that might be a little harsh. Do you, do you think that's a little harsh? I mean, obviously, <laughs> rolling with Jari and DeSmith in goal again seems like an unnecessary risk, but... I, you know, it, they weren't able to get the flurry deal done. So I don't, I don't know, kind of, you're, you're, you're a Penn fan. What, what's your read on what they did this off season? And do you think it was the worst off season in all of hockey? Yeah. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, losing McCann obviously hurts. You know, it, yes. it is disappointing that the team considered him to be that expendable that, that they would just kind of shunt him off to Toronto for, for a, you know, a decent prospect in, in Hollander considering, the age of the team and, and McCann's age and, and all of that. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, they lose Brandon Tanev, who I think is a pretty good bottom six defensive player. They replaced him with Brock McGinn, who's basically kind of like the Brandon Tanev, Tanev light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they lose Cody CC and they replace him with, you know, no one, which isn't the end of the world. Like they can yeah. just play Chad Ruedel, who will probably do similarly. Okay. For them. Pretty heavily uh, sheltered you know, minutes. That that's what that's what they were doing with CC, right? Is they were just basically yeah. like sheltering the crap out of him. Well, I, you know, they they were playing CC a decent amount. Like he he was kind okay. of in their top four. Like they they were running Matheson and, and CC as their second pair. Uh, okay. But you know, the flip side of that is that they have John Marino, and you know, he plays well with with Marcus Pedersen. And if that just becomes the second pair, I don't think it's the end of the world. Like that was their second pair two years ago and it, and it did very well. So, yeah, you know, again, you know, these are kind of decent, you know, not big name, but, you know, contributor losses. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much they really add up to. And, and the Penguins didn't go out and make themselves a gigantic mistake in free agency or anything like that. Uh, when it comes to Jari, you know, they did the thing that they needed to do, which was they fired the goalie coach. Uh, who had been the goalie coach since the 27 cup win. And since then the Penguins goaltending has been terrible. So I'm not obviously a goalie expert who can say, okay, it's his fault that it hasn't been good. 
but in terms of, you know, I, I never expected that they were going to be able to get out of that Jari contract after that playoff series. So the best case scenario for them was always to bring in a new goalie coach and, and hope that that can kind of turn things around for him from a nuts and bolts perspective, because I think that we really underestimate how important goaltending coaching is to yes. the results of that position. Because I mean, uh, we, we know that goaltending is, is already the most random thing in hockey. Uh, and if goalie coaching is kind of the only thing that really imposes much structure onto that, then I, I think that it could play a pretty significant role. And we see, we've seen kind of cases of goalies that come into a new team that has a different goalie coach or they work with a different trainer and, and they have quite good results after that. So, you know, all things considered, you know, would I be a lot more excited if the Penguins still had McCann and if they had traded for Darcy Kemper or Flurry or, or all this stuff, you know, maybe. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Penguins pretty much treaded water, which is all you could really expect them to do. So I'm yeah. not uh, shedding any tears for that offseason. And if the Penguins do decide that they need to make a big move, I think that they will end up doing that at a date that is probably a little bit more, you know, rewarding for them than on July 1st or July sure. 28th or whatever it ended up being. Well, while I have you here, while we're talking pens, what, what do you think the Malkin number is going to come at next year? I don't know. I, again, it's kind of a similar thing for Obi with me where like, I don't really care that much what it, what it comes sure. at. <laughs> uh, you know, like if, if it really comes down to like, he wants 9.5 instead of 8.5 and then he decides to walk from that, you know, I think that's a lot more damaging than if you just pay the guy his money and then just figure things out, you know, cause the penguins have been, you know, getting depth players in unrestricted free agency for a while, you know, and, and if the Malkin number is just a little bit too high, then they can just stop doing that and they can just continue to call up their own Mark Donks and Buzz Flibbits instead of paying for them on July 1st. And, and not his you know, name. I mean, that's not an actual name, is it? No, 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 no. There's, there's, I think that's an old Steve Dangle joke about the Brian. You, you could have convinced me by the way, for what it's worth. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like they brought in, you know, like Redding Zahorna and he awesome. did perfectly fine last year. Like the, the Penguins clearly have something going on in their development system that they can just call up guys you've never heard of in your life and they'll plug in perfectly fine. Yeah. So, yeah. For a long so, yeah, time. So I'm, was the... I'm not too worried. Okay. Yeah. For a long time, I was kind of what the caps were able to do. And lately, you know, being good for as long as the caps have been, you know, there's obviously a little bit of fall off that kind of just happens through just attrition and trading draft picks and all that. But I guess the kind of final team I want to ask you about, because I think they maybe had the, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you again about the Oilers and the Canucks because you've been asked about that enough and I don't want to talk about them, but uh, I do want to talk about the Carolina hurricanes because uh I don't know what to think of them. And uh, I don't know if anyone really does. I know that uh, losing Dougie Hamilton sucks for them. That's, that's really hard. And that's, I think going to be tough for them to do. Uh, they also, you know, got rid of uh, Nedeljkovic and Narazic and replaced that with a Ranta and Anderson pairing, which I'm not sure about, but also I don't really know. Um, and then they just kind of had a ton of other shuffling to it. They were the ones that they got Ian Cole, Derek Stefan, and then they, uh, you know, kind of lost uh, Fogel, Geeky, and uh, Paquette. So, and McGinn, I, I don't know, kind of, that was just a lot of things that they did. Do you think Carolina is any, how much worse do you think Carolina is going to be with Hamilton uh, gone? And do you think that kind of their other moves in the background were enough to, maybe stave that off and still keep them, you know, safely in the uh, 
competitive range in the Metro. Yeah, like I, I still think they're a good team and I think they're definitely going to be competitive in, in the Metro division. I think that they're kind of in that pile up of, of teams that have a per, as good a chance as anybody is of, of uh, making the playoffs or even competing uh, to win the division. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, losing Dougie really can't be overstated. Like he has been such a positive contributor on that team. Uh, you know, you, I mean, I, I don't think Slavin is, is going to be too hurt by moving to, to play with Brett Pesci, who's, who's obviously he's had a lot of success playing yeah. with Pesci before and, uh, and Pesci is a, is a great defenseman himself. Uh, and, you know, I think that they did an okay job of, of plugging the holes that they had. Uh, you know, Ethan Bear, I think, was a pretty shrewd acquisition for them, even if it cost them kind of an equivalent forward in, in Warren Fogel. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, there's the, the Tony D'Angelo circus, which, you know, I don't think we need to really dig into that much. But, you know, I can see why they, at least in a purely hockey sense, would see Take him as somebody that they him. could plug yeah. in. Would, would see that he's a guy that they can plug in to essentially replace Dougie on the power play. You know, I mean, we'll see if, if the circus decide, it proves to be worth it in that sense for them. But, you know, uh, you know, you look at their forward group, it looks kind of roughly the same as, as what it was before. You just kind of switch out a couple pieces. You get Derek Stepan in there. You get Josh Levo in there, uh, who I think is a good depth piece. And, you know, like we said, kind of the goaltending is the big question mark. Because I think that, you know, before free agency hit, like when Nadelkovich was on this team still before they traded him, you know, I had him projected to regress quite a bit because it's goaltending and he basically came from being a waiver wire guy to putting up numbers that if he had played a full season would have been legitimately Vesna conversation type numbers. And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, and I said this kind of during the playoffs when I predicted that the hurricanes were going to fold against the lightning that, you know, I think the hurricanes were a bit of a paper tiger last year. Like they, you know, had, some of the best goaltending in the NHL, you know, their defensive numbers really weren't very good. Uh, Their goal scoring was once again, way below, you know, their expected goal numbers. Uh, And, you know, they kind of win the division and everybody hails them as being this big contending team. And and I think that a lot of it was kind of illusory and, you know, maybe Frederick Anderson and Antti Ranta, like there's a lot of pedigree there. You know, both of those goalies have performed very well in recent memory. And even Anderson wasn't, I think, quite as bad as, as people were envisioning him to be last season, especially at even strength. But, you know, obviously those are two older goaltenders. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get with them. And, and it's a question mark. Uh, you know, I, I don't see them as being a team that is that, that I would comfortably project as being in the top tier uh, or, or being a, a major cup contender. But I, I guess better to roll the dice with two guys who could potentially be big difference makers in the, in the net than to you know, play things safe and just get like Jonathan Bernier or something like that. So or resign Mrazek or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Uh, I don't think too many people will be cheering too heavily for them anymore. Like they used to uh, after some of the decisions they made, but yeah, you know, I, I I really would have preferred that they would have just resigned Hamilton, but in the grand scheme of things, I think that if they were operating on kind of a shoestring budget, which it seems like they were, you know, they could have theoretically made worse moves to plug that hole from a hockey perspective, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you have like a lot of the teams in that division that are, that are to the cap teams and 
you have Carolina, who I think still, obviously they still have to get the Svechnikov deal done, but they have over 12 million to do so. It's hard to look at their off season and not thought if they were, if they were spending to the, to the cap uh, ceiling that they could have, couldn't have got that Hamilton deal done, but uh, so, so be it for them. Um, you know, I'm as a Caps fan and I would imagine you as a Penguins fan, uh, you know, I think uh, obviously Hamilton's not going anywhere division wise, but you know, him being on Carolina, I think does not being on Carolina does, uh, does kind of, you know, help the Caps and the Penguins, at least in the aggregate a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on what the devil's, end up being because i think that yeah, that do you is think kind they're of gonna them. be any good i mean like obviously i like the tatar i really love their off season but i mean they were bad and uh you know i i don't i don't it'd be tough for me to say that they're gonna be like a super contending team or anything but i you know they, they definitely could be interesting no yeah yeah like i have them projected as being i think pretty comfortably in the mix like i like they i have them okay. at, uh, at 93 points which is oh. you know not quite a playoff team in, in this division in terms of how it's projected but you know squarely in that conversation and, and easily within the margin of error of, of getting into one of those you know wild card or, or bottom of the division spots yeah you know i mean they they pick up uh thomas tatar who was i think probably the best offensive winger on the market they pick up dougie hamilton who was probably the best defensive or offensive defenseman on the market uh pretty clearly uh you know they you know i'm not huge on on ryan graves uh like a lot of people are but you know maybe he'll he'll prove me wrong but i i think that they kind of did the things that they needed to do to at least get themselves into a conversation and i think with kind of jack hughes there and, and with nico hughes kind of hopefully coming back and and becoming kind of a good second line difference maker for them after that injury you know they kind of were un, you know imaginably done kind of being on the outskirts of that division. And I think that they've gotten themselves in the conversation. I think that they definitely have upside, you know, if, if Blackwood can play to the caliber that, that Devils fans clearly think that he can, uh, you know, if Jack Hughes can break out and, and start translating all those end-to-end rushes into goals and points. Uh, and, and if Tatar and, and Hamilton can both kind of remain effective players for the next couple of years, you know, the Devils could be a really interesting team to watch next year, or this could be just kind of yet another example of a team that tries to buy its way to the top and ends up getting disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to be the real, like, I, you know, I think Hamilton, we kind of have a pretty good idea of what, uh, obviously new team and all that, but I, I don't know, at least to me, it seems like Jack Hughes and Nico, he is kind of the, the big question for me and you saying, you know, I, I obviously agree that he should be healthy and Hughes. I think he, probably needs to take at least another step or two you think now yeah yeah for sure because you know Hughes there's a lot of good stuff going on under the hood in terms yeah. of his puck possession and his you know his defensive numbers went up quite a bit this year I think that he definitely improved his turnovers and, and his back checking and, and all of that stuff uh but you know at the end of the day you really have to connect those dots and start turning those points into actually actual goals you know like right now I think he projects as you know pretty similar kind of a, a light version of what, you know, Matt Barzell looks like, which, you know, Barzell, I think gets a lot of credit for, you know, his puck possession and, and his transition play and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the reasons that Barzell isn't lighting the world on fire in terms of points, you know, people kind of attributed it to, you know, he's playing in the trot system, which I, I never really understand considering like, how could you watch Barzell play and think that he's playing anything but the Barzell system? Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, Barzell and Hughes both, I think do have one flaw, which is that they 
do tend to kind of overlie on passes to like they kind of circle around with the puck on their stick and then they end up defaulting to passes at the point instead of maybe forcing the issue a little bit more or, or leading to more dangerous chances in the slot, which is why I don't think either players really have the neither the offense driving nor the high danger passing numbers that you might expect considering how good they are as playmakers. And, you know, I guess there is a bit of a question mark over Dougie as a fit there, you know, whether obviously the, the big question has always been how much of Dougie's success has come from playing with guys like Slavin and, uh, and Giordano, you know, the numbers would suggest that it hasn't, but there's always a chance that you put him with Ryan Graves and, and something could go sideways. Uh, but if you have, you know, Jack Hughes kind of entering the zone, circling around, and then just kind of defaulting to Dougie's shot from the point, you know, there might be a chance that the Devils don't have the horses to really track down those pucks and get them into the net like the Hurricanes did. So mm-hmm. maybe there might be some fit issues, but I, I think it would be a lot more entertaining to see, you know, Jack Hughes really take the next step and start piling up some points because he definitely has the potential and, and the skill to do it. Yeah, yeah, and feels like, at least for me, that it's uh... – you know, I, I would hope it's just a matter of time, you know, given pedigree and given that, you know, I think it, we all forget he's still extremely young and, you know, all that. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Jack, this has been a blast. I think we made it through every team, even though I said that we wouldn't. So I guess we, what, uh, under-promised and over-delivered, right? I think that's the, that's the term. So uh, that, this, is, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, we're going to hit the, uh, the Blue Jacket blue jackets oh. in part. Oh no, we're out of time. Oh no, oh, what are we gonna do? Crap. All right, okay, real they, quick. They stink. Well, They're I think not they good. have a really good off season. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll give you. A- Give me, give me a 30-second review of the Blue Jackets. Because they're, they're embracing the tank, right? I think that seems to be the, the thought there. Yeah, they did most of what they needed to do, but they are going to get smoked in that division next year. They oh, are yeah. not ready to do anything. And they should have traded Corpus Allo. I don't know why they haven't done that yet. Yeah, uh, frankly, that's, that's pretty much Maybe they should have traded both of them. But <laughs> yeah, both Corpus Allo I, can, and, I, uh, I can understand why they wouldn't want to trade. Merzlikens considering what happened this offseason you know they yeah that's fair ability there yeah. with the goaltending coach and everything but Corpus Allo you just I mean come on that guy has way inflated value from that playoff run you had all these rumors about people being interested in him and the guy has not been good in the regular season ever so just yeah. trade him get your second round pick get your first round pick whatever I, I don't understand they haven't done that the, the Edmonton Oilers are right there so yeah they are they are they, they need a goalie really badly um and you know they're they've shown that uh you know they're they're not willing they're not uh they're not shy from overpaying uh you know a guy who's a mediocre backup in uh you know starters clothing or whatever uh oh I, real quick by the way how does it feel i feel like uh you're I, I remember uh i think when i had you on the first time i asked you about seth jones and uh you know i i think you've you're you i i would imagine you feel kind of justified in uh your skepticism of seth jones so uh have you been a uh, reveling in the uh the seth jones as being uh way overpaid uh takes that, you, that we've that we've started really seeing in the last year or last month, yeah. I guess I would say, since the since the trade. It definitely has been odd because, like, when I was on your podcast, the the, the Seth Jones is overrated take was basically like an unthinkable take yes. that, like, like you know, I, you were I just got coming out of the bubble where he played like all yeah, those minutes exactly. or whatever against Tampa. But so I was getting shouted at by all corners and everything like that. And then he obviously has a season last year which was far, far, far worse than I could have ever imagined. You know, I had spent an offseason saying that this guy was like an average top four defenseman playing top pair minutes. And yeah. suddenly he puts in a season this year where he was, you know, 
one of the biggest anchors in the entire league. Uh, and then to, to the point where he was apologize or like basically acknowledging that he was playing terribly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, again, I, I don't think that there's, there's much need to go too in depth on, on what I think is pretty clear about what I think about, uh, about his contract there, but yeah, it has definitely been a little bit surprising to see how much of the, the discourse around him has turned around since, uh, since the last time we talked, but yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe he'll, he'll come to Chicago and he'll, turn into a $9.5 million defenseman. And it will turn out that the only thing that was holding him back was Tortorella not letting him go end to end enough, which would have seemed impossible, but, but there we are. Yeah. Yeah. One, I feel like the Chicago off season was kind of a, I don't know. For, I mean, for me, that we we've been going on way too long already, but man, oh man, they, uh, I, I don't know whether they're a contending team or not. And I don't really know. I don't think they have a grasp on what their window is, but I guess uh, Stan Bowman won't be around long enough to figure that out, I guess. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see how that kind of goes, but uh, all right. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring up the Blackhawks. I think they've been talked about enough ad nauseum, but Jack, uh, this has been a blast. Uh, where can people find you and your uh, various musings on things? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at jfreshhockey. That's where I post too much. Uh, you can read my writing at EP Brinkside, uh, the elite prospects, uh, hockey analysis page. I, uh, I'm on vacation right now, so you won't hear from me for a couple weeks still, but, uh, that's where a lot my writing usually appears. Uh, I also still do have a Substack where I do occasionally post things, which is under the J fresh hockey name as well. And if you've seen the stuff that I post on Twitter, uh, if you've seen my visualizations and if you're more curious about that. Uh, the standings projections and the roster builder in general, all of that stuff can be found on my Patreon, which is also under the name J Fresh Hockey. Yep. And I think yep. that pretty much covers it. There you go. There you go. Lots, lots of different places to find you. And uh, Jack, we'll be in touch. I definitely want to definitely want to have you on again uh, sometime soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for all having right. me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.